Amen. All right. Second Peter chapter two. It's so good to see all of you. We're thankful you're here. What we said. We're going to back up just a little bit. I always do this. I'm sorry. Actually, we'll back up a little bit to get context. Let's go to Second Peter chapter one, verse nineteen. I'm going to read verse 19, the first part of it, in the King James Version. The rest of it is going to be New King James. If that seems odd, it's because the King James translation of this verse 19 is the superior translation. So I'm going to read it that way. So if you're looking around and going, What's, what kind of Bible is Brother Lindsay reading from? It's, it's legit. <clears throat> so, but if you're physically able, will you stand with me as we read from God's precious Word? The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, which you would do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and deliver them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. It did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into, Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly and delivered righteous lot who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man who dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day by day, seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to, deal, how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to preserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. And especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanliness, and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. But these, like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption and will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. Let's, um, you may be seated. Thank you for standing. <clears throat> Father, we come to you in the name of your Son and rejoice and praise your name for the authority, power, and fidelity and faithfulness and truthfulness of your Word. We're thankful, Lord, in the original languages it's absolutely perfect and whole and complete. It doesn't lack. It's not insufficient. There are not chapters yet to be written. And everything that is written is to be received as authoritative straight from heaven. Thank you so very much for giving it to us. Thank you for moving through the power of the Holy Spirit to give us uh, your Word. We're thankful, Lord, that the prism that we look through the Word is through your Son. Then we can see the subject matter of the Bible. 
and it's to display Him. We rejoice. We rejoice over Him, and we rejoice because of Him, and we rejoice through Him, and we rejoice in Him. Thank You today that we can worship You in spirit and in truth. Please take this Word, and we are confident, and we pray and affirm and latch on to the promise that whatever You set it about to accomplish today, it will accomplish. It does not return void. Thank You that salvation is by grace through faith. It's not by works. That none of us are good enough to go to heaven. But Christ is a perfect Savior. And through His works and the merits of His perfect life and His sacrifice and resurrection, we're going to heaven. For those who repented toward You and put faith in Him. Thank You, Lord, that we can be confident in our salvation and we can sing blessed assurance because it has nothing to do with what we've done or will do but has everything to do with what You did through Your Son. Please open up our hearts to what You'd say. Till up the fallow ground and make the implanted Word find its way to the very depths of our hearts so that eternal fruit grows up on the surface thereby, whereby You're glorified. We love You, Jesus, and we worship and praise and affirm the fact that we love You because You first loved us. In Your sweet name we pray. Amen. We've been going through First and Second Peter, as you recall, for several months now. <clears throat> First Peter, in essence, talks about the attack that's mounted against the church from without. And then when he goes into Second Peter, where we are now, he talks um, in large measure about the attack from the church that's mounted from within. Um, <clears throat> in Christian endeavor, we've got to remember this. We... We, are, uh, we want to be loving, and we are. We serve a loving, and we serve a compassionate Savior. But, as C.S. Lewis wrote, we have no options regarding Jesus except that He's either a liar, a lunatic, or He's Lord. That He makes us, He forces us to make a decision. There can't be any kind of vague or ambiguous assessment of His claims. He's God. And Jesus, we declare, through the power of the Holy Spirit who has rescued us, we declare as the church of the living God that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the false teachers come in and they'll make those claims. They'll make those surface level claims, superficial claims. And then they'll begin to look and act like us. False teachers use our vocabulary they don't use they just don't use our dictionary so they can they they hijack spiritual words and use them but the way in which they use them is not biblically defined it's by defined by their own lusts appetites greed and covetousness so they use our vocabulary but they don't use our dictionary the bible's a footnote a suggestion to them and they wield it to their own deceptive destructible purposes we are served in service of a compassionate Savior, but He is the way, the truth, the life, and no man comes to the Father except by Him. In Christian profession, as we talked about when we first went into this, the Gospel is our hill to die on. We don't compromise the Gospel. You mess with things all you want. CNN, Henry them can mess with corporate policy. I was thinking about the fact that you said you want to be a storyteller and you're in a good place to be one. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. That was mean. <laughs> but um, but uh, uh, 
Ted, or you'd affirm that too. But uh, um, the um, we're 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 uh, the, the the issue is this: we can't compromise concerning the gospel, not in any measure, and we will not sacrifice the truth for the sake of unity. If you sacrifice the truth for the sake of unity, the unity that you get from that is not unity. It's nothing but confusion. We'll do enough. We'll do enough without anybody's help to confuse people about Christian faith because we're not perfect. If we serve a perfect Savior, we will be perfected one day. And we're positionally perfected, but right now, practically, we're a work in process. But our doctrine, we have to be vigilant about the doctrine because doctrine matters. We've talked about it in a firm before that practice... Doctrine without practice is dangerous, but practice without doctrine is deadly. And so, doctrine does matter. Doctrine is not a dusty academic word. Doctrine is a great word. The word doctrine is used 53 times in the New Testament alone. It matters what you believe. It matters what I believe. And so, therefore, we're going through this and we're looking at not so much what the false teachers teach, but how they act and what they're like. It's more about the characteristics of the false teachers than their doctrine themselves. Because doctrine, errant doctrine can take innumerable different forms. And we've talked about it before, and I'm going to share it again. But the way you recognize something that's counterfeit is by what? Studying what's real. The way people are taught in the secret service to recognize counterfeit bills is to study what a real one looks like. When you study the counterfeits, there's so many variations, you never can get your grips around them. You study what's real and you see something that's counterfeit, you know exactly, uh-uh, that's, that's not so. And we know that in the, at last, in this age that we're living in, the Bible says that men, imposters, and evil men will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And oh, do we see that in full measure. We talked about last week that the false teachers deny the Lord who bought them. Deny the Lord who bought them. Written, curiously enough, by an apostle who denied Jesus Christ three times uh, before he went to the cross. He was really well qualified to write this. He didn't stay in denial. A false teacher not only denies the Lord who bought them, but he stays in denial. That's the difference. And we can celebrate the fact that the blood took care of Peter's sins just like it took care of yours. So he doesn't bring them up again in his passage. It just is, it's, it's amazing to me. Thank God for that. And they're going to bring on themselves swift destruction. Many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed, perverted. And we know, and we talked about and heralded last week, just kind of recapping where we've been, that <clears throat> many will follow their deceptive ways because their teaching appeals to the flesh. In other words, like we talked about, they preach and promote a crossless Christianity. Um, what, 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 what the options are for us are these two, and we observed this last week. We're either going to deny ourselves and follow Christ, or we're going to deny Christ and follow ourselves. One or the other. And so what a false teacher carves out is something the Bible doesn't know anything of. And that is... Let's get in by the cross. We'll give you that. There again, they got our they got our vocabulary. So we use our dictionary, and then once you get in, then Christ is there to serve and pander to your appetites, and whatever you can extort out of God for a blessing, that's what He's there for. He's a spiritual Santa Claus, and you can speak into being anything you want to, and it'll be yours for the for the for the realizing. 
You can, you can live a, a life free of pain, sorrow, heartache, pain, and disease. And any introduction of those kind of quote-unquote bad things means that you don't have enough faith and there must be some unrepentant sin in your life. And the worst part about it is, is their motive is covetousness. Look at it. By covetousness, in verse 3, they will exploit you with deceptive words. Covetousness is greed. It's uncontrolled desire for wealth and money. And I might add, probably ego. So every bit as much about feeding somebody's ego as it is about lining their pockets. Here's their methodology. They will, they will encourage us to extort what we want from God while they extort what they want from the people. It's, an, it's, nothing, but a, 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 it's nothing but a Ponzi scheme. It's, a, it's spiritual terrorism, if you will. That you get in the cross, we'll, ex- we'll, we'll concede that. But we love the work of the cross for us, but we're not interested in the work of the cross in us. That, 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 we, that, that Jesus Christ sets about in a true believer's life not to affirm their flesh, but to kill it. Not to affirm their appetites, but to um, make them no longer necessary and, make, and replace it with an appetite for Him. It says they'll exploit, they'll traffic in. That means to traffic in and to, to realize gain from uh, you with deceptive words. And the Bible says that for a long time, <clears throat> their destruction, uh, their judgment has not been idle. doesn't mean that, that it's not idle. Here's what that means. It means that their judgment is accumulating. It can see... It's, it's kind of like, have any of you ever been to the Hoover Dam? you ever seen pictures of the Hoover Dam? It's really an amazing sight. I've, I've stood on the Hoover Dam, and on one side of it, on this platform they have, so you can look. I'm, I don't know, it's 800 or so feet. Joe probably knows. He knows everything. Joe, um, and on one side of it, like 800 foot drop, and you see down at the bottom of this massive dam. And on the other side of it, you see this body of water. Here's the picture. For the false teacher, he's on the dry side of the dam. And it appears like nothing's happening on the other side of the wall. God hasn't yet judged him. And so therefore it feels like, it seems like everything's okay. You can't assess somebody's teaching by the consequences it brings them in this life. That's what that means. If things seem to be going well and things seem to be successful, success is not the measure. Truth is the measure. And so on the other side of it though, Greg, the, the wrath of God's building up. So it's not idle. It's not non-existent. It's just being withheld. And it's on the other side of the dam and it's building up. It's building up. And there's going to come a day. There's going to come a day when it gives way. There are two ways the wrath of God is spoken of in the Bible. One is a sudden outburst. And the other one is a slow, accumulating, full measure that one day will give way in sudden outburst. And that's what he's speaking of here. So the judgment's not been idle. It's going to happen. It's coming. It's coming. And, and, and their destruction is not asleep. It's coming. It's coming. But here's what this means. And here's what we can learn from this. Those who would pervert gospel truth are not saved. Saved. <coughs> 
those who would pervert gospel truth are not saved. Because the judgment he's speaking of here is final judgment. And it says it awaits them. So false teaching is far, far more destructive not only to those who hear it, but to those who promote it than we could ever imagine. It's coming. And then what He does here is He gives us... He said they're going to use deceptive words. That Greek word from which the word deceptive comes from is the root word from which we get the word plastic. Plastic. And what that means is, is they twist the Word of God. It's not that they don't use the Word of God. It's that they take the Word of God and they twist it and contort it and move it for their own selfish end. It can also mean plastic in the sense that it's a duplicate. It's a counterfeit. And it, you put it in the mold and the mold comes out and it looks like Christ. But behind it's nothing but a bunch of uh, nothing. It's feign. It's counterfeit. It's superficial. It's not substantive. And so it doesn't slumber. Now, we're getting somewhere, so I want you to follow with me. Then he says, okay, let me show you. Let me give you an example of what's already happened to show you what's going to happen. And God uses three examples of judgment to make a point here, not just about the judgment and the character and nature of it, but the character and nature of what gave rise to the judgment. That's what I want us to see here in a moment. It says, there are three. First, he uses fallen angels. Second, he uses the flood. And number three, he uses Sodom and Gomorrah. When he uses the fallen angels, he speaks of the height of his judgment. When he uses the flood, he speaks of the breadth of his judgment. And when he uses Sodom and Gomorrah, he speaks of the depth of it. He covers everything. And he said, listen, it's coming. It's coming. So listen to what he says. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. Now you'll recall, and that people differ on this, but I believe that there's strong, strong biblical evidence. And we went through this when we went through our teaching on the flood. That the, that the fallen angels he's speaking of here are angels who lost their place and left their domain and came down and had relations with women and produced a mutant human race that was not all human and not all angelic, but something, some hybrid race. And it spread so much throughout the ancient world that God imposed judgment in the flood. Now, do you remember, based on just a cursory view of the number of, um, of the generations uh, in the Scriptures up until the time of the flood, do you remember what we... what? Is the best guess of how many people are on the face of the earth of the flood? Mm-hmm. A billion. There's a billion people. Billion. That's conservative. When God wiped out the human race and spared eight people. Eight people made it through that. But it was the angels who lost their place. That, remember that. Who lost their place and came down, cohabitated, uh, had relations with women, and produced. Um, Mutant human um, something, a, a mutation race that gave rise to the flood because that was the devil trying to attack the seed and the line through whom Jesus would come. 
Jude, verse 6. Turn right, if you will, a couple of books. It says, And the angels who did not keep their proper domain. Do you see that? They did not keep their proper domain. We don't know a lot about these angels, but they did not keep their proper domain. Keep that in mind. Did not keep their proper domain, but left their abode. He has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. The devil and his minions are roaming around wreaking havoc on this earth. But that, as of right now, and they've been sentenced, they've been judged, but the sentence hasn't yet been carried out, which it will. These, however, have been consigned to the lowest place in the eternal abode of hell, awaiting their final sentence. So these, we believe, are the ones that are spoken of during the great flood. So then he moves on right there, but they lost their place. Remember that. And so, <clears throat> and so now, they're reserved right now and delivered into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. Then he moves on in verse 5 and said, It didn't spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing into flood on the world of the ungodly. The Bible does say that the way to destruction is wide and many will find it. And the way of salvation is narrow and there will be few that traverse that path. This is eight out of one billion. He saved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, bringing it to the flood. Given rise because of the angels who left their domain, came down on earth to wreak havoc, and that led to the flood. Then he moves on, so that's number two. We see the fallen angels, we see the flood, and then we see number six in verse six Sodom and Gomorrah. He turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. Sodom and Gomorrah is characterized by the sin of sodomy, which is homosexuality. Homosexuality from cover to cover in the Bible is condemned in the Scriptures. Just like adultery is condemned in the Scriptures. Just like lying is condemned in the Scriptures. Just like stealing is condemned in the Scriptures. Sin is sin. But it's condemned in the Scriptures. And He brought judgment because men and women moved away from their natural affection and started burning with their lust one to another. They lost their place. Keep it there. Now watch it. They lost their place. What happened to the angels? They moved and lost their place. What happened with the, in the strange flesh going after? The Bible says in Jude, strange flesh. And now... Men and women have lost the natural use, the God-ordained use of, of, of sexuality and have left their place, right? You see the theme here? He's building to something about that. That's very significant. So then he gives, that, he gives the examples. He said, don't fret. No need to fret. Because I'm going to take care of this, the Lord said. And I want to encourage you. I'm not only going to take care of the false teaching, but I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of you. And, you. and guess who he picks on to give an example of that? Probably the greatest example he could give. And that was Lot. We went through weeks, you know, 
studying Lot and the contrast between Lot and Abraham. Abraham was a believer who was in relationship and fellowship with the Lord. Lot was in a believer who was in relationship, but he was out of fellowship. Remember that? The angel comes to him, you'll remember, in, uh, in um, Genesis 19, and said, you've got to get out of here because we're about to level this city and you've got to leave. And of course he lingers and negotiates a little bit. Lot was a worldly, he was a worldly Christian, which should be an oxymoron. He had enough of Jesus to make him miserable in the world and he had enough of the world to make him miserable in Jesus. And so, but yet he was a saved man because the Bible says no less than three times in this narrative that he was a saved man. He was a righteous man. It's hard to imagine based on his biblical testimony he was righteous because he did not act righteously. But he was a righteous man because you're saved by grace through faith and you're kept by grace through faith. And you have the hope of future glory by grace through faith. It never becomes works. Praise God for that. But he says, so he delivered him. He calls him a righteous man three times. And the angel says, you've got to get out of here because I cannot do my job. I cannot bring around the judgment and the, and the, um, and the uh, wrath of God until you get out of here. Why? Because Christ had already taken the wrath for him. He could not punish Lot. Be careful about that. You as a Christian will never be punished by God. You'll be disciplined by God, but you'll never be punished by Him because it was taken out on a hill called Calvary. Amen? Hallelujah. Not part of God's wrath, the full measure of it He imposed on His Son so that you and I would never experience it. Hallelujah for that. So He delivers righteous life. Here we go, again, with some insight over the, uh, the, the completeness of the work of the blood covenant for God's own. Because if ever, if ever, you want to take a, a little bit to, to speak of the fact and make some excuses for Lot's life, you could use this opportunity to do it. Lot fathered his own grandchildren. Lot offered up his daughters for perverted sexual activity with with uh, 40 men who had come to their door. And yet, he calls him. Look at how the Bible speaks of him. It says, And delivered Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, that, that for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his soul uh, for, uh, day by day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. And when you look in Genesis 16, you don't see much torment. The Bible is speaking of him not based on Lot. He's speaking of him based on Lot's trust in his son. Praise God for that. Listen, the Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Every time I claim that Scripture in prayer, I always say, God, I know that I'm a righteous man because I've been clothed with the righteousness of your son. It's not my righteousness that I make my appeal. It's his and it's been gifted to me the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. I don't have a righteousness that's like His. I've been gifted with the very righteousness of Christ. That's how Lot and every other believer are seen. Praise God, hallelujah. And the Lord said the judgment that was building behind that dam will not touch you. Hallelujah. Praise God for that. Whatever's taken to the mercy seat doesn't make it to the judgment seat. Praise God, hallelujah. That makes me want to run around the building. 
I won't do that, but I feel like it. So God says, you know what? I know how to parse things out. Don't be contorted. Don't be upset. Don't be nervous. I know how to parse things out. I know who belong to me and I know who don't. And the ones who don't belong to me have wrath and punishment over them. And the ones who do belong to me have eternal life. Verse 9. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation to reserve the unjust for, under punishment for the day of judgment. Especially those who walk according to the flesh and the lusts of uncleanliness and despise authority. Hmm. Hmm. We despise authority. We could go into months on what the Bible has to say about authority. We've gone into it before. But one of the um, characteristics and traits of false teachers is they despise authority. They refuse to come under authority. They might acknowledge authority, but they resent it. Like I said, they'll affirm Jesus is Lord. They come to Him with their lips, but their hearts are far from Him. They have no interest in Him being Lord of their life. The angels lost their place. Sodom and Gomorrah lost their place. False teachers have lost their place. They've lost their place. And here's what's common among them. They despise authority. That word really leads us to lordship. They despise the lordship of Jesus Christ. They despise it. Power, dear ones, does not come from being in authority. Power comes from being under authority. He's going to cast them down to hell. They serve their own lusts. They walk in uncleanness. They despise authority. They are presumptuous, <clears throat> very daring and bold, very daring and bold. <clears throat> and they're self-willed. That's very obvious, but they live to please only themselves. That's all they care about. And I want you to look at this carefully. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Some of you might have some notes in the margin of your Bible that say, beside dignitary, glorious ones or maybe glories. <clears throat> that means spiritual authority in the spiritual realm, the heavenly realm. It's very common, very common in the charismatic uh, circles to go around and rebuke the devil all the time. I'm going to rebuke the devil. I rebuke you. The devil is seen around every corner. He's seen in everything. Um, and everything is attributed to him. And, um, and, 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 and boy, I rebuke you, Satan. I rebuke you, Satan. It's the character and nature of somebody who's lost their place. See, just like the, the angels who fell lost their place. And just like Sodom and Gomorrah, they lost their place of their natural affection 
and move to one another. The false teacher has moved into a realm he has no permission to enter into, to exercise authority. <clears throat> Not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. We can give greater insight on this when we, uh, when we look at um, Jude, verse 8. speaks of the same thing. Let's go over and turn to Jude, if you will. Turn right and let's turn to Jude. Here's what, here's what the commonality is. This is amazing Scripture, really. He's talking about, uh, <clears throat> and Jude uses some of the same examples, the fallen angels, Sodom and Gomorrah. <clears throat> and then comes right here in verse 8. and says, Likewise, also these dreamers, that's another thing that characterizes my life, visions. I was handed a book not too long ago written by Kenneth Hagin. And he said that he got in the... Uh, presence of God for an hour and a half. And Jesus was standing in front of him and there was a devil that was parading around in their conversation. And he was like a monkey. And he was making so much noise it clouded over the noise that Jesus was trying to say to him. And he, he met with Jesus. He had a vision for two hours. I don't know who he had a vision with, but it wasn't Jesus. And, um, and, and finally, the Lord's voice broke through and said, and he said, Lord, why are you putting up with this demon that's parading around here and, and, and wreaking havoc in our conversation and preventing me from hearing from you? He said, I can't do anything about him. I was waiting for you to do it. Does that sound like Jesus to you? He would say, you have the authority to do it. So he picked up on that vision and have led countless thousands astray by saying, you rebuke it. You take control and take charge. You lost your place. Lost your place. Just like. You see, that's why the thread is in there. The, the angels lost their place. The, 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 uh, the, um, the, the, uh, the Sodom and Gomorrah and the Sodomites lost their place. And they, they perverted created order in God's sovereign design over sexuality. And these guys have lost their place. That's what's common. Look what it says. Verse 8, Likewise also these dreamers, dreams and visions, defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Now here's some insight that we get from Jude. Yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring an accusation, uh, uh, bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Now, this, Michael, is the highest of highs in the hierarchy of angelic authority, power, and identity. And there's some kind of, we don't know the details about this, but Moses died on Mount Nebo in Moab and he did not enter the Promised Land. You remember that? And he, his, he was buried in a secret place not known to anybody. And apparently a confrontation took place between Michael and the devil. And Michael's job was to prevent the devil from seizing and somehow or another uh, having control of Moses' body. We can assume, even though it may not be the case, but we can assume that perhaps the reason God kept Moses' body from being discovered is because he was concerned that the people might use it as some uh, object of worship. And, and no doubt, they probably would have. 
and, and, and hold it up as some, something to pay homage to. And, 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 and they couldn't move to the new covenant because he was a picture of the old covenant. So his body was hidden. And there was a dispute that rose, out, rose between the two of them. And rather than, rather than Michael, chief big kahuna in heaven, turning to Satan and saying, Satan, I rebuke you over your efforts to find this body. He said, the Lord rebuke you. Now, if Michael would not rebuke the devil, what business is of the false teacher to do so? You know what the name Michael means? Do you ever know this? Everybody's a bunch of people named Michael. That's your first name, isn't it? Mike? Brian. Michael, Brian, Bentley, whatever. And uh, you know what that name means? Do you know what that means? It means, who is like God? Isn't that cool, Mike? Write that down, Michael. Start repeating. You, you can say, you know what my name means? Who is like God? The one who snatched me out of the past and put me, gave me a future home in heaven. Michael was affirming his very name means who has the authority of God? Who is beside him? Left. What's the opposite of left? Right. White. Cold. God. No, nobody. Nobody. The Bible says I'm a just God and a Savior and there is none beside me. Aren't you grateful to be able to worship a God like that? Aren't you grateful that you don't have to call upon and find out which God is over what area when you want to talk and have a list of a million gods and say, well, this God's over this. I'll pray to Him this time. There is one God, three in one, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Who is like God? His name means He knew His place. And if we're going to contend with the devil, let God do it. Let God do it. Is there rebuking going on? Let God do it. We don't have conversations with the devil. We have them with the Lord. Believer, let the Lord handle it. Don't lose your place. Don't try to enter into a realm that we don't understand on presumption and self-will. These are what this false teachers would lead us to do. These are what they say. They're, they're rebels. And they, they not only... See, when you're resistant to authority, you don't have respect for authority. That's why in the eve of Christ being crucified, the Bible says that Pilate and Herod were enemies until Christ was put in front of them. And that day they became friends. You know why? Because rebellion attracts rebellion. That's why these people have such a following. The, the, the following, the enamor, is rebels. Rebellion is what it is. <coughs> what he's saying is, God is God and you and I never will be. God is God, and you and I never will be. And I'm cool with that. Before I got saved, I wasn't, and you weren't either. And now that you're saved, you're cool with that. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 5. You see what the, you, want, you know what this is underpinned by? See, even Michael would not 
even Michael would not speak a rebuke his fallen counterparts in the evil realm. If you hear somebody teaching that, mark them off. They have lost their place because they have arrogated themselves to the place of God. That's what's behind it. Do you see it? It's not just what their practice is. What is the spirit that's driving it? The Bible says the Lord tests the spirit. What is What spirit underpins that? What guides that? And it's just exactly what Satan said in the very beginning. Genesis 3, Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not die. God doesn't. He was, that was an analogy. He didn't really mean that. He didn't really mean that. It's allegory. You're going to die one time of this second death stuff and judgment and hell. Come on, man. didn't mean that. You can't take him seriously. God knows in the day you eat, you eat, your eyes will be open. And here it is right here. You will be like God. That's it. The reason the false teachers are going to hell is because something that Brian shared, a scripture he shared last week in the Lord's Supper. And that is that no man can serve two masters. Only God is to be God. And if we don't submit to Him as God, then we're actually following ourselves. I was sharing the Gospel with a young man this past week. And I had just a little bit of time with him. He said, my belief system says, and I'm not, I said, I'm, I'm guilty. But my belief system says I'm going to go to heaven in spite of my guilt. And I said, well, to be honest with you, I don't understand your belief system, but here's why I know enough about it to know this. The Bible teaches if you keep on with that, then you're going to die and you're going to go to hell. And God takes no pleasure in that. He takes no pleasure in the death of the ungodly. But that you should repent. And I said, you can repent and put place faith in Jesus and He'll save you. I'll tell you about it sometime if you want to hear what God did about your plight. I said, but you know what you're doing? I said, just be just. It'd be so good if we take some a moment to inform you of what you're doing by saying what you said. You have just exalted yourself to a position above God, and now you're the God of your own world and your own theology, and it won't serve you well in eternity. It might serve you well now, and there are plenty of false teachers to come along and encourage that. But on the day of judgment, it's going to be bad. It's going to be bad. But God loves us, doesn't He? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible says, Note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine that you've learned and avoid them. Because through smooth words and flattering speech they deceive the hearts of the simple. But your obedience, I mean, to the Gospel has become known to all. I'd rather you be wise in what is good naive concerning evil. Watch this. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. That's God's job. That's not mine. That's God's job. And I'm cool with God having that responsibility. You appeal to Him because He's a just God and a Savior. Beside him, there is no other.